Three days ago, there's a primary school girl about the age of my son um, in America. She brought a gun to school and shot two of his, her classmates and a teacher, grade six, before she was disarmed and, um, by, by another teacher. Of course, this happened in America, and we in Australia would sometimes say, ah, foul, that's America. We'll just brush it off, say that that's America, that's, that's not us. That was three days ago. Two days ago, again in the paper I read, on Friday evening, uh, a teenage boy, as he was playing basketball, was stabbed to death. And this is just in Melbourne, western suburb of Werribee. 5.30 in the afternoon, he was stabbed. By 6 o'clock, he's dead. He's out to play basketball. Now, when you read stories like this, we cannot help but wonder what, what is happening to our world. This is not just America. Uh, this is not just Australia. This happens every day around the world. We don't have to try very hard. You open the paper, you read the paper, you'll see news like this every day. I don't have to go very far. These are two, three days ago. And we are left to wonder what's happening to our world. If you read stories like this or heard stories like this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or 50 years ago, our father's generation, we would have said, well, their lack of education, you know, their lack of knowledge. We need better government, um, better justice system. We need better education, and that will solve all that problem. But today, we are no better than 50 years ago. Yet today, we can say we have a lot more knowledge than 50 years ago. We have better education than 50 years ago. We, we have better justice system than 50 years ago. Yet the world is not getting better. Crime rates going up and even worse and worse, getting worse by the, by the day. So, so we cannot say more knowledge, more education will fix this because it, it hasn't. And that's, that's the fact. So our passage today, I believe, could help us understand not only what's going on in our world, but how we can fix this. Okay? I'm not saying good justice system Good governance and education are not important. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the root cause of evil that we're seeing in the world cannot be solved just by fixing those uh, superficial matters like on the surface. We've got to go deeper. And the passage today in John 8, 12 to 30 deals with that. Okay? So that's what we're going to look at today. In in John 3, we look at this before, so if you could flip a few pages back on your Bible, John 3, verse 19 to 20 says this. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So the Bible says, the light has come, but people love darkness. And, and that is the result. He said they love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And Jesus now opens 
this passage for us. They say, I am the light. I am the light. So the Bible says, tell us, the problem with the works of evil is, is not the lack of education or better government, better justice system, but because people are living in darkness. So when we see the problems around us, the Bible tells us that's the result when people, the outcome when people live in darkness. And not only that, people are loving it. No one's uh, living, the Bible doesn't say those who live in darkness are dreading it. They're actually loving it. So you know what happened in darkness when there's no light? You cannot see. In the pitch dark darkness, there's not, no single source of light you cannot see. And that's what's happening to our world that is in darkness. We cannot see. So what is the solution when you cannot see in darkness? Light. And that's our passage today. And in the, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, there are seven statements of Jesus that say, I am. And we look at one already. I am the bread of life. Now we look at another one. I am the light of the world. So we're going to look at what is the light this morning, why the light is so important, and how can we have the light. Pretty simple. What is the light? Why is the light so important? And how can we have the light? So what is the light? If you recall, we are now in chapter 8, but if you recall a chapter back in chapter 7, it framed the context of where Jesus is at this time or what the people are celebrating during this time. So if you flip back to chapter 7, you'll see this is during the time the Jewish festival called the, the uh, Feast of Booths or Tabernacle or Sukkoth. And this is a Jewish festival that they celebrate every year out in the wilderness, to celebrate when they were out in the wilderness, wilderness when God rescued them out of slavery from Egypt en route to, to the promised land. So God faithfully help them and protect them and guide them for 40 years in the wilderness. And they're celebrating this time. This framed the context for us this morning. The Feast of Booths or Tabernacle as Feast of Tent, some people say. They are out in a tent, living in a tent to celebrate God's goodness for them. So one of the things they do, they're doing many things apart from living in the tent and stuff like that. One of the other things they do is they light candles. They pour water, they light candles, and they light candles to celebrate how God protects them in the wilderness. If you know your, your, uh, your, his, your, your Bible history, you would remember how God guided them in the wilderness. You know, in the desert, in the afternoon, it was really hot, it can kill you, and at night, it's really cold, it can kill you as well. The desert is cruel. So at night, what God does for 40 years as God guiding them through the wilderness to the promised land is God provide them with what the Bible calls pillar of fire. God provide heat and light in the desert. This time there's no electricity, you, there's no battery. You, you don't bring up your, you know, your torch light. God provide them with the pillar of light. We can read that in Exodus 13. I'm going to read to you. 
Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. For 40 years, God guided them. So in the desert, the pillar of fire, if you haven't realized this, it's a matter of life and death. You don't have it, you'll die. You need it in the desert. So God protects the people all this time and they're celebrating it in, in this time. So that frames the context. So the young and the old of, of the Israelites know about this. They know well about this. They sing about this. And in Psalm 27, verse 1 says this. They sing about this, you see. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? They are not afraid in the desert. They are not afraid in the dark. Why? Because the Lord is my light and my salvation, they sing. So they know that God, Yahweh, is God of light, their salvation. Now Jesus come onto the scene and telling the Pharisees, I am the light. This is what happened. And they can't believe him. They don't believe him. Another thing, not only that in the dark you cannot see, what happens in the dark is there is presence of fear. There's presence of fear. When, when the Bible talks about darkness, sometimes it refers to fear. That's why the song that they sing in the psalm is, the Lord is my light, whom shall I fear? I shall not be afraid. When there is light, they are not afraid. Whom shall I fear? No one. I will fear no one. I fear nothing if God is with me. But in absence of light, there is presence of fear. And some of us have been there perhaps. In darkness, in the presence of fear in our life. And when you're in dark and you cannot see, when you're in fear, your fear drives what you do. Drives your action. Drives your thought. You're not, driven, you're not thinking rationally anymore because you are driven by fear. Well, your fear and my fear may be different, yet in the dark, we all have fear. We all have fear, uh, and our fear drives us, becomes the drive of our lives. Let me give us another uh, quote from uh, Scripture from Exodus 32, 7 to 10. So in the desert... There's one time Moses guiding them, God's leader guiding them, and God calls Moses up on the Mount Sinai. And Moses spent longer than expected, than the, what the people expected. And this is what happened, and they become fearful, you see. When their leader, Moses, did not come down from the mountain, they become fearful. And this is what it says in Exodus 32, verse 7 to 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath 
may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God was angry. They were afraid. The people were afraid. Moses did not come down. And they start making an idol. They carve a golden calf. And God said, I'm going to destroy them. But Moses, through you, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And of course, if you know your Bible, Moses said, no, you don't do that, Lord. Save them. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't lead us, we'll go nowhere. I'm going nowhere. So they're fearful. These people are fearful. And it drives them out of their fear to worship idols, to carve an idol, to make an idol. They collected gold and they melted them and made golden calf. Out of fear. Out of fear. So out of fear, we can be driven in a way that are not rational. So let me give another example. So uh, for many migrants, for example, I'm, I'm a migrant and for many of us are migrants. One of the things for migrants into a new nation, they fear is a fear of failure. Either for themselves or for their children. And this is quite common for migrants, fear of failure. And the lives of many migrants then, because the fear of failure, are driven by what we call success. They make sure that they're successful in the new land that they come. So they work really hard. They work really hard. And being successful is the number one priority in, the life, in their lives. On the outside, when they're successful, they're happy. They, you know, they're successful, right? But on the inside, they're afraid. They're fearful of when that success is going to be taken away from them, going to slip out from their hands. So in another sense is that the happiness is very fragile. The happiness relies on their success because they're driven out of fear for failure. When, when successful people who are driven out of fear of failure, you take away their success, their life will fall apart. Their life will fall apart. I'm not saying all successful people are like this, but successful people who are driven out of fear for failure will be like this. When success is taken away from their life, their life will fall apart. They lose their sleep, and their family will begin to feel the pain and start to fall apart as well. And the Bible tells us the reason why. It's because they are in darkness. They are in darkness. And without realizing it, when they are in darkness, they have made an idol out of success in their life. Not that success is a bad thing, but they made that good thing to become ultimate thing. And if you're not migrants and you can't relate to this, perhaps um, I can give another example. For some people, whether you are young or old, one of the fear is that you fear being lonely. Some people fear being lonely. So when you fear is loneliness, what drives you is to get into a relationship. You get into one relationship after another. You jump from one relationship to another. Because as soon as you are not in a relationship, you are afraid. You may not articulate it that way, but deep down you feel there's emptiness. I need to fill this quickly. 
Now, relationship is a good thing. We all know that. But when, you're, when, when you, you have relationship out of fear of being lonely, when you're dr- what drives you with fear of being lonely, then you have made relationship so much more important than it actually is. Then if that relationship being taken away from you, your life will fall apart. You cannot handle it. And you will use your partner. If, if you are driven out of fear of uh, loneliness and you are in a relationship, what happens is you're going to use your partner. Rather than cultivate and loving, you'll be using your partner for your need, to, to meet what you need in your life. So, you know, for people like this, we can say relationship is their God. Relationship is their God. They use their partner to worship themselves. So, and when, as, as they jump from one relationship to another, people like this, they get worse. They get more paranoid. They get more demanding. They become more and more unbearable to live with. So what is the solution? What is the solution? The solution Jesus say, I am the light. Come to me. Follow me. Jesus say in 8.12, you can turn to this in your Bible. We're in chapter 8. Jesus say in 8.12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So why the light is so important? Why the light is so important? You, you may think, once I Jesus reveal himself to the world, I am the light, people will come and all is good. No, that's not what happened there. The people did not believe him. Uh, verse 13, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the Jewish law basically say, a witness of one person is not valid. So that's what they're saying. It's like, Jesus, you, you're talking about yourself. Your witness about yourself is not valid. You need more witness. We don't believe you. And of course, in uh, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, we, we've seen last week, I believe, that, yeah, you need two or more witnesses. That's what they're telling Jesus. Your testimony is not true. But then Jesus has answered this before, you see. In verse Chapter 5, so turn a few pages in chapter 5, verse 31. So previously, Jesus has addressed this very issue, but they just refuse, in a sense, to listen. John 5, verse 31, 32. If I alone bear witness about myself, Jesus says, my testimony is not true. So they're just basically repeating what Jesus says. And Jesus carry on and says, there's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And Jesus later on in chapter 5 goes on to say that person is John, the evangelist who wrote the gospel of John. He say he bear witness about me, right? But now Jesus take it up to another notch, you see. Let's look at John 8, turn to jo- back to John 8, verse 14 to 19. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, My testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. In here, Jesus means I judge no one according to the flesh. 
because of the, the context of where we're in. It's not like Jesus judged nobody. Jesus judged, but Jesus judged no one here. Jesus judged no one according to the flesh. And then Jesus says, Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bear witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bear witness about me. They say to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So Jesus has said in chapter 5 that John bear witness, and now he says the Father, God the Father himself, bear witness about me. My testimony is true that I am the light. If you want to get out of your darkness, whatever that is, whatever you fear that you are in in your life, Jesus said, come to me. There's no other way. I'm the light. If you're in darkness, you're living in fear, whatever that fear may be, right? As I said, it could be different. Come to the light. You need the light. Jesus said, come to me. So why is this so important? John 8, 21 says, So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me when that happened and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but then you will try to find me, but you cannot come to me. Instead, you will die in your sin. This is why coming to the light is so important because there will be a time where it is too late. Jesus say, I'm going away. You will try to find me, but you cannot come. And you will die in your sin. See, when, when you're afraid, your life will be driven by fear. Decisions made in darkness will ultimately lead you to death. That's what the Bible says. We think it's okay to chase success out of fear of failure to foster relationship, to go into relationship out of fear of being lonely. The Bible says if you keep going that way, you will be dead. Jesus say precisely this, you will die in your sin, singular, sin. What sin? What sin is that? Well, the Pharisee did not believe in Jesus, that, well, that he is the light, that his testimony is true. A single sin that will kill you is the sin of unbelief. When you read the Bible and Jesus say, come to me, believe me, I'm the light. Live in such a way when you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Jesus say your sin of unbelief will kill you. You will die in your sin. But interestingly, you will see in John 8, 24, Jesus said this again, I told you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I'm He, you will die in your sins. You have seen how one sin of unbelief now become sins. When we, when we live in this sin of unbelief, before long we'll live in 
all sort of sins in our life. So Jesus say, your unbelief will lead you to many sins. Believe, therefore. Jesus said, you must believe that I am He. That's what our passage says. So don't think that I just don't believe everything else is fine. All my life is okay. The Bible says no. If you have sin of unbelief in your life, before you know it, you have many, many sins in your life that will kill you. So Jesus' solution is this, belief that I am He. What does He mean by that? I'm going to read for us from Isaiah. I don't know how easy for you to turn to Isaiah, but if you can, it's Isaiah 43, verse 10 to 13. If not, I'm going to read to you. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declare and save and proclaim, when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witness, declares the Lord, and I am God. And henceforth, I am He. There is, no, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Jesus say, I am He, just like the Lord God says, I am He. There's no other Savior apart from me. So for the Pharisees in Jesus' time, in, that, in our context that we read, on the head level, they knew what Jesus meant when He said, I am He. On the head level, they knew. But on the heart level, they don't believe Him. I know what you're saying, Jesus, but I don't believe you. Even though Jesus said, John bear witness about me, the Holy Spirit bear witness about me, God the Father bear witness about me, they don't believe that Jesus is the light, He's the Savior that can rescue them out of darkness into light. So some of us perhaps are like Pharisees that we have heard the gospel, we have heard the good news, yet we refuse to believe in our heart. I'm not talking about hate belief. Head belief can just say, yep, yep, okay. But heart belief, it changes and transforms your life. We no longer go around chasing success out of fear for failure. Lots of money does not entice us anymore when the gospel touches our heart, when the good news touches our heart. So a lot of times we are like the Pharisee. We understand the gospel from the head level, on the head level, but not on the heart level. The Pharisees say, I hear you, Jesus. I know what you're talking about, but I don't believe you. When we chase relationship to fill the gap in our life, when we chase success to fill the gap in our life, we're telling Jesus, I know what you're saying, Jesus. I know you are my provider. You are my God. You're my everything. You are all I need. I know that on the head. But deep down in my heart, I don't believe you. So I need to work hard to get success. I need to work hard to achieve this kind of relationship that I want in my life. So you can say whatever you want. For as long as your action does not reflect it, you're telling Jesus, I don't believe you. So we refuse to believe. If we read the Bible, it says because we love it. No one loves money and chase success because they hate it. 
No one go after one relationship to another because they hate it. They do it because they love it. The Bible says because they love darkness. They're not loving Jesus. They're not in the light. So some of us perhaps today are living in this way. We refuse to believe because we love darkness just a tad more than we love our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is taking the good thing in this life and making them ultimate. Not taking a bad things in life, but taking a good thing in life. That good thing may even be coming from God. Your success, your wealth, your, your in intellect, your family, your relationship, they're good things that come from God. But we make an idol out of them by taking them making them ultimate. They're good things, but we make them ultimate. We don't believe because we cannot see, the Bible says, because we're in darkness. So how can we begin to see? How can we see? How can our eyes be finally open? Not just listening and understanding with our mind, but truly seeing with our heart. How can we do that? How can we have the light on, so, so to speak? We're in the dark. How can we have the light on? Jesus said, I'm the light. Okay, how can I tap into that? So number three, how can we have the light? John 8, 28 to 30. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So how can we have the light on? Jesus say, see me lifted up. You see that? Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing out of my authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So how can we have the light on? See Jesus lifted up. What does it mean? Well, the language of seeing Jesus lifted up is Jesus on the cross, lifted up, hang on the cross. And then we have the light on. When you see a crucified Christ, you will believe, Jesus said. You will finally see the proof that I care and I love you. All the promises that I say, I will take care of you. You need not worry about that part of your life, about your wealth, about your family, about your parents, about your children, about your relationship. When you see Jesus go all the way to the cross and died for that, you say, I believe. You not only talk, but you actually did it for me. So Jesus said, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you will believe. So John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So who have the light? Those who not only look at Jesus on the cross, lifted up and believe, but who follows him. Jesus say, I'm the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It is one thing to believe, but when you truly believe, you will follow. There's no good if you believe and not follow. 
It's no good if I'm telling you all these good tips on how you, have a, you can have a healthy life if you do not follow it. You're not going to have a good life. You're not going to have a healthy life. You can sign up to a gym. You can, your your, your uh, personal instructor, personal trainer can tell you and give you all the programs, all the best program in the world. You believe it that it will work, but if you don't follow it, it's not going to do you any good. Jesus said, if you, he said, I'm the light. It's those who follow me who will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in the same way that God leads the Israelites in the darkness out of, the, out of uh, Egypt in the desert to the promised land by pillar of light, by pillar of fire, Jesus say the same thing to us. Jesus say, I'm going to lead you out of your darkness. Trust me because I am the light. Yet, this is the amazing thing. They were taken out of slavery into the promised land, into a better place, out of God's guidance, with God's guidance, with the pillar of fire. God, Jesus say now to us, from the cross, this is what happened when you believe me. Is I'm going to lead you out of death, darkness in death, into light of life. So that's the promise of God. Jesus led us out of death in darkness into light of life. John 8, verse 30, the last verse of our passage today says this. As he was saying these things, what happened? Many believed in him. This is before Jesus was crucified. There are people who already believed in Jesus. How much more for us living on the other side of the history where Jesus has been crucified and we can see his faithfulness and witness his faithfulness for us. How much more should it do to us and make us believe and follow him? If even before he was crucified, many choose to believe him. So I just want to ask all of us, how about you today? Do you believe in him? Not just in, on your head in your heart not just say i believe in jesus he's my provider but i'm gonna provide for myself too i know jesus say he will take care of me no but i'm gonna take care of myself too is that how we're gonna live so what does it mean then to follow jesus for us today it means we no longer make an idol out of our little gods what is your little god that is your homework Find out what your little God that you make an idol of, that you make good thing that God has given you into the ultimate thing. When you follow Jesus, you no longer make those things your idol. No longer we let our success, our family, our wealth, our relationship rules our life, drives our lives. But we run after Jesus, we follow Jesus instead. Let us pray.